0: Welcome to The Journey of a Singer, with me, your host, Nick Pritchard. This is the podcast where we dive into the fascinating and unique journeys of those individuals within the creative industry. In today's podcast, I chatted with TikTok sensation and vocal coach Sheridan Coldstream. Sheridan is an industry-leading singing teacher, vocal coach, and confidence coach. He was the winning vocal coach on BBC One's primetime Saturday night show, Can't Sing Singers. And since May 2022, Sheridan has featured on BBC, ITV, LBC, Five Live and Heart Radio. And within a single year, has a master following of 350,000 TikTok fans. He was recently featured on BBC Breakfast after superstar Billie Eilish sang with him on his TikTok channel. In the podcast, Sheridan sheds light on his career in and out of the limelight. We delve into the psychology of being a performer and offer practical techniques on how to improve confidence and find your authentic self. Sheridan reflects on some of the darker moments in his journey and what he has learned from a career spanning almost four decades in the entertainment industry. So sit back and enjoy The Journey of a Singer with today's guest, Sheridan Coldstream. Okay, and we're live. We, we are, we're live. How lovely. Welcome, Sheridan. Thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. Nick, it's a complete pleasure. What fun. Yeah. Enjoy. I know you've uh, you've you've traveled over, so I really appreciate you coming down, and it's wonderful to see you in person, because I've seen loads of you on TikTok and social media and BBC and all these articles, and
1: it's really nice to see you in the flesh. Well, likewise, it's nice to meet you too. It, it's strange, isn't it? Because when things start to happen and take off, and we're in this weird industry where sometimes years and years can go by and not, not very much seems to happen, and then a little exposure in a, in a short space of time, and suddenly people are are almost starstruck <laughs> and that's exactly what's happened to you <laughs> <laughs> it, it, i'm not really used to that I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder to see who they're looking at the whole time but uh, i'm not used to being stopped in the street or, or recognized on an airplane all, all these weird things that have started to happen okay. because i, I I'm, I'm just little me really um being the way i always have been uh, and suddenly getting all this attention you don't really know why it just kind of is and um I can't say I'm not enjoying it, though. It's good fun. Well, congratulations.
0: I think it's, um, it's, like I said, it's one of those things that can really change your trajectory as well in terms of what you're doing. All of a sudden, from one week to the next, your life has suddenly got a different trajectory, these opportunities that seem to be really coming into your direction at the moment.
1: Yeah, you, you hope so. It, there's an awful lot of unknowns in this industry, and, um, and it can be quite fickle, as I'm sure you know, and things can look like they're about to take off and explode uh, and things don't always go (laughs) to plan uh i'm very much riding a wave at the moment uh and you have no idea where the wave's going to take you so i think you just have to be kind of grateful for the the things that do work and um and stay optimistic and expectations an important thing i think i've learned to expect things to go well that's good Uh, and when you do that things have a way of well let's say being more likely to work out than if you expect the opposite but um like so many of us, including your good self, I, I've been in this industry as an actor and a singer for a good few years now. I'll, I'll be 59 in a month's time. So, you know, maybe maybe, maybe my time has finally come. That's fantastic.
0: <laughs> well, let's, um, I mean, the podcast is called The Journey of a Singer. Uh-huh. And it's, uh, we get different creatives on, not just singers, but it is predominantly focused towards people in the music industry. Yeah. And part of it is getting to understand where these people have come from, what their journey's been because everyone in this industry has a very unique individual journey it's not mm-hmm. necessarily like the corporate world where it seems to be fairly structured you know you can get a promotion climb your way up the ladder this business seems to be up and down and that is that can sometimes be a bit confusing mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we'll we'll start at the beginning we'll get to all of the fabulous things that are happening to you at the moment all <laughs> the exciting things all of the the BBC interviews and the uh the duet with Billie Eilish and your your TikTok fame and um, I'm really excited to understand kind of what your life entails at the moment Um, but to give us an idea of what you've been through on your personal journey as a singer and an actor where did you start how old were you and and what got you into this
1: business? I was about five when I thought I wanted to do this I I was playing the cat in Dick Whittington at school and all I had to do was take a big bow at the end that's all I can remember my mum said to me oh I think you're going to be a an actor darling i are going to be a performer and I never really looked back so I think from the age of five it was fairly set in stone in my mind that I needed to be a performer and looking back as I have many times I, I think what drew me to this industry and I'm almost ashamed to admit this was the kind of showbiz glitz and glamour and fun and performing thing um, and that's still what I love I, I, I love the bars I, I love showbiz. And I love musical theatre. And uh, so I went through school doing okay uh, academically. I think it's a, well, this is a big topic because I, I think the education system has a lot to answer for. It tends to separate academic people uh, from the rest and sometimes makes people feel if they're not academic, they're not intelligent. And I think intelligence and being academic are two very different things. Um, however, I, I went through school thinking I was fairly dumb. Uh, and always feeling like that weird person and the outsider. Always the one shivering at the edge of the football pitch and would rather be in the music school right, writing songs or uh, or just singing my heart out, you know. So I, sc- school was an odd time for me. And it seemed vaguely irrelevant or even very irrelevant because I knew that what I wanted to do was be on stage. So I sort of staggered my way through school with my few special friends. Uh, and at 16, I, I wanted to join the National Youth Theatre, um, and, and that happened. Again, expectation, I think. I expected that to work out. This was my, my mapped out plan. Yeah. I had pre, almost predestined to happen. So I joined the National Youth Theatre at, at 16 and, and did a season with them. But even there, I, I felt a bit like the outsider and like everyone was better than me and more confident. What was that? Um, because,
0: was, was that because you,
1: your ability wasn't as good as theirs or was that just a, a confidence thing? I, I would, I, who knows, I would choose to believe it was a confidence thing. Uh, and I'm massive on helping people with confidence now It's a huge part of of what I do. and And people say to me, "Yeah, but you seem so com- so confident yourself, you see, And confidence is an is an odd one, isn't it? Because I think we can be confident on one level sometimes mm-hmm. uh, and still struggle inside. And I think we've all got a a bit of an internal voice in our head that screams at us sometimes, uh, maybe telling us we're not good enough, or perhaps comparing us always unfavourably <laughs> with other people. Uh, and I was certainly battling that. Like, I think probably most people do to some extent. I just seem more able to talk about it. Um, so that was there. So National Youth Theatre, then A-Levels, which bored the hell out of me, frankly. And then I wanted to go to drama school, so I auditioned for the Guildford School of Acting when I was 17 to go when I was 18. And and this is imposter syndrome. I, I, I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel good enough. But I was offered a place... On the spot at, at the audition, which was uh, even in those days fairly unusual, and it is one of the um, best best acting schools really out there, especially I, the, I think it still is. Very and, good. and for musical theatre in the mid eighties, which is what we're talking about, it, it was very much one of the places for musical theatre. Um, so I believed I was lucky and it somehow got in just because the wind was blowing in the right direction. I didn't. I wasn't able to take the credit for the fact that i'd got in i didn't feel yes yes of course i got in but that was never me never me and it's it's still not me now i just kind of wonder why things work sometimes so, I did three years there uh, doing musical theatre, uh, which was lovely. I, I loved singing. I loved acting. I am the most appalling dancer in the world. Or you have recently said to me that uh-huh. you, you might become a close second. <laughs> I was going to say, I might challenge you on that one. Oh, uh, uh, well, <laughs> let's fight it out, boy. <laughs> no, at my audition for Guildford, they even said to me, You're not quite the worst dance we've ever seen, but I thought, Oh, well, thanks. And then they offered me a place. So, I don't really understand that. So, I spent three years at Guildford, sort of loving it and sort of still wondering who I was. Because at 18, I was very much a little boy still. And I was there with lots of people who were 19, 21, 25. So, I was one of the youngest. And I think I hadn't really had a chance to live properly. So, I don't think I got as much out of that as I could have done. However, I I left Guildford aged 21. Uh, so at that point, I'd audited our National Youth Theatre and Guildford School of Acting, so it looked good on paper, but I'm not sure the person I was was reflecting mm-hmm. the experience that I'd had at that point, so I needed to live a bit at that point. So I then spent years still living at home, no, not years, months, maybe nearly a year, writing letters to every casting director in every every theatre in the country. In those days, it was proper letters and brown envelopes and real photographs that you had to pay for. Uh and most of them didn't lead to anything, and a, and a, a few did. And then uh, what happened nearly a year later is I, I got offered my first job as an actor, uh, playing Eustace Scrub in a play called The Silver Chair, which is part of the Lion Witch in the Wardrobe C.S. Lewis series. Um, but it wasn't grand. This was a school's tour. Uh, and at the audition, uh, there was a girl in the waiting room, waiting outside to go in. And I chatted to her a bit, and she said, are you auditioning for The Silver Chair? And I said, yeah and then they called me in and i went in and did all sorts of things including yodeling which i still do so i i yodeled and sang and played the guitar and, and did a, a monologue or two and wasn't really sure how it went and came out and she said to me gosh you gosh you're good how am i going to follow you i said oh, don't don't be ridiculous uh, anyway good luck i said and i w- went out and got into the car my mum was driving me and uh she said who was that who was that pretty girl in the red leggings and the violin i said i've no idea but uh but she was going in after me for the audition. Anyway, long and short of it is we both got offered the job. And first day of rehearsal, it was like, oh, you, oh, hello, I'm glad you got it too. So we were playing opposite each other. Um, we've now been married 33 years. So <laughs> I had a feeling that was the punchline. <laughs> I thought, please tell me this where, where, ended up going somewhere. <laughs> where is this going? Yeah. In fact, she's just this second taking the dog for a walk and parked outside with me. That's amazing. Um, so so that, that's how I met my wife. and uh, And that gave me a lot of validation and, and confidence in a way. We then worked together quite a lot uh, in musical theatre and theatre. We did a season of Rep in Lincolnshire, uh, playing opposite each other in plays like *Dilemma for Murder and stuff like that, which was really, really fun. Then I had my break. Uh, I, I was, at this point, I was also working as a singer, but but always separately from acting. Um, my training was in musical theatre. Um, I was always too short to play Raoul in, in Phantom of the Opera or, or I didn't get into lay Mis and stuff like that but I was doing songs from the show's concerts on the Kent coastline in sort of seaside theatre type venues you know the, the kind of thing quite quite fun gigs um but my acting career was sort of separate so I got offered a farce uh in the Princess Theatre Hunstanton which was a, a proper theatre and the play was called Hands Off My Crumpet and was very much kind of carry-on type vibe as you can probably get from the from the title. <laughs> but I did that uh, and in the audience was sitting a West End producer uh, called Vanessa Ford and uh, she was recasting the West End production. There's a theme here of a C.S. Lewis play called The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and she said you'd be perfect for Peter and uh, so that, that led to that. So suddenly so I'm in the West End playing how, how old were you at that point what was that um, yeah. 20, 23? 23 yeah about about 23 yeah so i did that uh, and that was six months in the west end and then a national Fantastic. i think it's six months and then a national tour of all the big, so so no, no fame here but just just solid acting work for a bit so was it the case back then where you would have an agent
0: one agent who would do your tv film commercials and theatre was that who you you went to
1: yeah, let's talk about talk about agents for a bit. Because when you leave drama school, don't you think everyone pins their hopes? Well, on my, on my day, it was all about having an equity card. That's, that's different now. In the old days, it was a closed shop, you couldn't work without an equity card, and mm. you couldn't have an equity card without working. Nowadays, there are you can sort of join equity it's not such an issue and you don't even have to be a member of equity to work these days but in my day that was an issue and having an agent was always like the trump card if you had an agent you were going to work and you'd leave drama schools it's all about whether you had an agent or not i must have been through more agents than i've had yeah. hot dinners i think no disrespect to the agents industry but i think the actor sometimes expects too much from yeah. that yeah uh and maybe if you're an absolute megastar and you're signed with Curtis Brown and your name is David Tennant or Olivia Colman, then perhaps an agent can feel the work that gets offered to you. But I've always found, and I still find to this day, that everything of value or nearly everything of value that's come to me has come direct to me because of the work
0: I've put out. That's a really interesting thing to say. I think a lot of people might actually resonate with that. I know I certainly do. Um And I've got an agent and I've worked with various different agencies, but it is a weird thing where the bigger roles and the the big breaks or the bigger situations have seemed to come from within and, and not via an agent, which is, which is strange when you think Mm -hmm. about it, because it's their job to, to push you in the direction of the roles, which are bigger and better in, in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. And. Uh, it'd be very easy to sit here and say that agents aren't all they're cracked up to be. And I, I don't want to say that because I'm sure there are some very effective agents and some performers who have fantastic success as a result of what their agent's done. And I have two agents now. I have a, a, a normal a, a kind of commercial agent who get, gets me TV commercials and ad- advertising campaigns and that sort of thing. And some of that work wouldn't come to me mm. without that relationship. So thank you, Layla, for that. Yeah. Um, and I also have relatively recently acquired a, what's called an influencer agent, which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? You're an you know, influencer. I, I, I know, because <laughs> suddenly you find yourself, I was so scathing about the term influencer. I thought, oh, sorry? You know, why, why would you want to make being an influencer your job? Because in a sense, we, we all would all would rather be a good influence on people and life and anything we come, in, come into touch with than not but to make it your goal in life to be an influencer, to me has a a tone of arrogance about it. Um, Actually, most people I say this to kind of agree with that. The the, the word is a bit misleading. There's a connotation, isn't there? There is a a connotation.
0: These I mean, firstly, it didn't exist 10 years ago to be an influencer, really. And now it has this connotation of, um, I guess, self-obsessed people that are posting photos and such online. But the problem is it social media has grown to a point where you you almost can't not be an influencer in some respect to be mm. part of this game um that you almost have to play ball a little bit with it
1: yeah i think so I mean, i've got to be honest i absolutely love it
0: yeah um, you seem to enjoy from uh, your videos i know we're sort of jumping off track but that's absolutely fine but from your videos you seem to very much be enjoying it and enjoying this new chapter that you're going
1: through i'm having a lovely time i and sometimes you think, who do I think I am? Why have I got the right to, to do this and say this? And why do people like it? And what is the magic? And I, I, I have no idea. Um, but rewinding back a bit, mm. so 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 you've done you've done the shows in the West End, and yeah, not 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 loads, not yeah. loads. I, and that was during a C.S. <S. Lewis thing, 23, 24 around that about kind that. of age. Yeah. We're talking, you know, a good twenty five years ago. Gosh. Um, Then I had a patch where I struggled for a bit and didn't get much work. I think the last professional job I did was understudying Noddy in Noddy the Tour. That was a national tour. And I was just the understudy. And I was playing Burt Monkey and Sailor Doll. So my career had, you know, when you've aspired to play Hamlet and you end up playing Sailor Doll and Burt Monkey, you really begin to wonder if this career is all it's cracked up to be. And then I told a famous lie because I was at home as an unemployed resting actor and someone rang me up and said, do you teach singing? And I said, yes. And I didn't. And they said, when can you book me in? And I said, how about tomorrow? You know, it, was, it was the next free day in my life. <laughs> I could have said today. And So my first singing student rocked up 24 hours later to my small two up, two down sitting room with a piano in it. I had to throw my wife and two babies out. Had a, uh, was it one child or two then? Anyway, uh, basically, only had one room in the house with a piano. Uh, and the, in the the day between taking that phone call and teaching that first lesson, I had to drive into Oxford, which is our local city, buy a, a book of vocal exercises that I thought I could vaguely busk my way through. Took them home, learned a few chord shapes on the piano, and all I could pl- play until that point was kind of a uh, uh, that thing everybody plays, um, chopsticks. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't play piano all Uh, you know i've never seen myself as a musician this is the other weird thing um and i'm not piano i don't play piano although i've that on tiktok that's what i've become Mm -hmm. known for i I just vibe a lot and hope that i get away with murder so this first singing student rocked up and there was me trying to play titanic badly um and it was shocking but actually the, the end of the hour came and she Enjoyed the lesson. She was then made redundant, so didn't come back. She had no money. But I, that classic moment where I thought, I quite enjoyed that. I, I thought, I can sort of do this. So, yeah, I'll tell you, tell you a really cool story. So I, I woke up one day, probably, where are we, 1998. So a few years have gone by now. And I'd probably been teaching singing for at that point about a, barely a year, I think. And we'd just moved into a, a new, bigger house. And I woke up one day thinking, total vocal, that's cool. And I had this weird thing, and I, again, I feel almost a bit too pleased with myself saying this, but I thought, if I'm going to be a singing teacher, I don't want to be that little guy that does singing lessons, kind of want to be the singing teacher, Um which probably sounds awful to admit I think think it's fantastic uh, to have that ambition you're you're, you're very sweet I wasn't even calling it ambition it was just a need I think because I'd grown up always feeling slightly insignificant Um, and I don't want to overpush this because I I wasn't a miserable child but I wasn't a blissfully happy teenager either Um, I I kind of never knew where I fitted in I felt like the outsider and I I talk about this freely because I'm so proud of being unique and different now and so... Huge promoter of being the real you, and being unique, and not trying to fit in. And no, no one got anywhere in life by doing what everybody else does. Mm-hmm. And so, it also, it's
0: really tricky at that age when you're growing up because you don't really know who you are, and it takes that life process to figure it out. Oh, I'm, it still, I'm still I'm still on it, Nick. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still figuring it out now. Well, your, your point um, is a really good one. Where you know you shouldn't worry too much about trying to fit in too much because you can really get wrapped up into that and, and being yourself is often the best way to go and it's funny because being yourself, as we've just said, can take a bit of time to, mm. figure, it, to mm. figure it out and it's an ongoing process. Um, what, what would you say just as a side point to that where you've got that dichotomy of being yourself but then not knowing yourself, how, how do you navigate, how do you try and find yourself a bit more?
1: That's a very good question. Well, I, I talk a lot about the little voice in your head, because I believe we we're, we're acquire over our years of growing up and upbringing and nature, nurture, a mixture of all things and the things that happen to us. We acquire a belief about ourselves, which scientists call a paradigm, which is a seri- series of held beliefs, many of which aren't true. So I, I choose to believe that our ceiling in life, our potential is as big as we want it to be. And all that stops it, us achieving those things, is, is a kind of limited belief that we have because of our, our inner voice, our, our little voice. So I always say to people, the little voice in your head isn't you. So if it tells you you don't think you're good enough, or everyone's better than you, you are going to fail again, or you're not up to it, or whatever it might be, or you, you don't deserve to be happy even, uh, that's a little voice in your head telling you that, but it's not Sheridan, it's not Nick. And just by noticing that little voice when it doesn't help you, and it doesn't serve you, I'm able to separate from it and know that the real Sheridan is the best Sheridan. And that's when things start to work out for me. And people sometimes say, yeah, but that's a bit simplistic. I say, no, it's not, because you can get really good at noticing it. And if noticing when your thoughts don't serve you becomes a habit, rather than letting the thoughts dictate who you believe you are, then you generally reprogram that subconscious. Yes. yeah, yeah. So that, that's kind of what I've done. But as I woke up on this day, so I'm rewinding a bit, <coughs> and got my computer out and typed the words total vocal at the top of an A4 sheet, sheet a, a word document, and was rather pleased with the words total vocal. And I let my mind... Rome free and typed all this stuff out. And I write, right, right, one day we're going to be not just a singing teacher, but the singing teacher. We're going to have a brand and it's called Total Vocal and we'll we'll be recognized worldwide and we'll have little academies all over the country. We'll make appearances on on television and we're going to be a force to be reckoned with. We're going to help singers achieve confidence and self belief, and improve their technique. Wrote all this stuff out. We're going to have a brand with a t-shirt logo boldly printed on the front and all this stuff. Put this, printed this off, put it in a quality envelope, only the, only the best paper will do, you know, and popped it in the bottom drawer of my desk and left it there and forgot about it. Then a lot of stuff happened. And a few years later, I found the envelope and opened it and pretty much everything I'd written down had come true. And some of these books written by success gurus say, if you, if you want to achieve success, write it down. You know, because once you've written, committed something to paper, you can't do that without thinking about it first. And then seal it and put it in an important drawer somewhere. Important paper, an important desk, and t- important drawer. So you attach value to what the Americans might call a dream. Mm-hmm. And then if you want it badly enough, and I always say this industry is just hard enough to separate the people who think they want it from those who really do. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I, I live by that. Yeah. And I've seen this with so many performers and people I coach if you want it it's just hard enough I'll say it again it's just hard enough to separate those who really want it from those who just think they do and, and possibly also those
0: that probably haven't known any, anything else you know if, you, if you've done something your whole life and it gets really tricky but you don't really have a, an, an option B
1: You've literally taken my next sentence out of of my head. I uh, officially love you because I actually say to people, if you want to make it in this industry, don't have a plan B. Right, yeah. And you got there first. Because. How dare you? I'm I'm so sorry. Who's who's the interviewee here? (laughs) But but do you know what I mean? Uh, Yeah. If you you, you say I'm going to give it a really good crack at being an actor or a singer, if it doesn't work out, I'll I'll be an estate agent. Mm. Guess what you're going to end up being? Yeah. Because the problem is, being an estate agent is
0: always more convenient and always an easier option. And you will you will always in this industry end up at a some form of roadblock where you think, goodness me, how do I get past this? And if you've got someone knocking on your door saying, hey, I'll give you uh, a nice steady salary and uh, you can just come here and work for, for us, then there's always gonna be somewhere that mm. has a salary just enough to buy your dream. And that's when you take it, if you
1: have the plan B. God, you're so right i i always say to people work out what defines who you are work work out because people this sounds really cheesy people say what do you do for a living and i always want to answer you can't quite say this because it sounds glib but i always want to say i'm just me for a living i'm sheridan for a living which i'm so blessed because that's literally true now and people Mm -hmm. come and see me in my studio or i'm on tiktok or i'm here and and i'm just being me and uh complete with vulnerability because vulnerability is the best way to communicate because if we're not being vulnerable we're wearing a mask if we're not if we're wearing a mask we're being to some extent not authentic or not quite real so by dropping a mask which includes being able to sit here and say i felt like an outsider or, i felt like the weirdo at school you know all, all, all that stuff that enables you to connect better with other people um do you know about patsy rodenberg the theater director and her first circle second circle third circle I
0: I've heard. I don't know if it's the same story, but I've heard a similar story about the circles. Um, is it along the lines of that inner circle of people you basically become the average of? Is that, no, that's no. a different philosophy. Okay.
1: Oh, I, can we, let, let's have yours. You oh, well, we, this is, this this
0: is something that I will definitely attest to. And um, it's certainly something that I've kind of considered a lot going f- throughout my life. But mm. the idea is that the five people that you hang around the most you become or are the average of that um, product. So if you if you hang around with five um, people that love to go and eat Chinese restaurant every evening and obviously you're friends, so you get invited along, mm. you will become someone that eats Chinese food just by a byproduct. And it, and it can be down to anything, um, pick any attribute, any kind of, anything that's attached to a human being and you say, well, if you're with five people that do that thing, then eventually you, you maybe will Become it yourself. Um, so the idea is to surround yourself with positive people, people that are ambitious, people that whatever it is that you want. Uh, I mean, I, I'm quite ambitious, so I like to mm. spend time with ambitious people that can bounce ideas off each other. If you're the sort of person that enjoys uh, reading and that sort of thing, then mm. maybe spend time with people that are part of reading clubs. And um, so that's a way to navigate your life based on the people around you and and kind of having the choice of the people around you and, and sometimes maybe if, if somebody's a really bad influence on you, then you can take the choice to say, actually, I'm not going to hang around them as much anymore. And if somebody's really inspiring to you, then maybe you spend a little bit more time. With oh, them.
1: You're, you're so right. So, I mean, we become who, a byproduct of that. Yeah. yeah, we become who we associate with, uh, I think is such a, a huge, a huge factor. And also social science i think i think the posh word is anthropology but social science will do will do for me tells us that we're we're drawn to people who are quite like ourselves that's also true yeah so you're you're more
0: likely to be hired if the person interviewing you is of a similar um physique and look to you as well which is i mean you could say that it's you it's a judgment thing but it, a lot of it is actually and like a biological innate thing as a survival thing that we we haven't quite Consciously thought of as much anymore. It's not. It's
1: not a a conscious thing. It it can be a subconscious thing that they're hiring you for that reason. I think it's probably largely subconscious. Yeah, I think it's because it feels safe. Because another interesting fact that I picked up along the way somewhere is is that we're all drawn to what's familiar to us Mm -hmm. more than what's good for us, which can be really scary. Which is to use a rather nasty example, victims of domestic abuse have a way of repeating history. So. um, a woman who's come out of a violent relationship will quite often form another statistically violent, true yeah. violent relationship, yeah, which is, is so scary. Yeah. And that that means they feel weirdly safer and more familiar with that danger mm-hmm. than they would having a a wholesome, mm-hmm. strong relationship because that's alien to them. Mm-hmm. And in a similar fashion, people people get addicted to stress,
0: and and it's like, where is the logic in that? You're so familiar with the concept of stress that. You'll actually seek it out and crave it if you are that that kind of person that's had a lot of stress throughout their life. Mm. You will, and and that kind of relates back to what you were saying about the the laws of attraction based stuff. Is they're maybe subconsciously seeking that out, and they don't want to kind of push themselves outside the boundary for fear of
1: the unknown. Yeah, I get asked a lot about the law of attraction. Mm. Um, Oh, let's talk about this for a minute. Can we talk about the law of the Absolutely. Absolutely. Guess, it's a topic know, I enjoy talking uh, about. I, I call this, a, I think I may have said this to you before, but I believe in a, a little piece of magic. I do actually do magic too, but that's another whole conversation <laughs> that doesn't work on a podcast. <laughs> hey. um, but I do believe there's a little piece of life magic uh, and people like to give this different names. So if you have a faith, you might call it prayer. Uh, some people call it the universe, some people call it karma, some people call it law of attraction, some people call it manifestation. And I don't really know, and I have to say I take great joy in not knowing things. I I, I love not needing to know why, because otherwise life becomes an impossible mission. I don't know which of these things is and which of these things isn't. All I do know is that as I've touched on this already, when you kind of expect things to work out, they have a, a way of working out. So if you expect something to go well, you'll probably give off a more positive energy than if you expect it to go badly. And um, I, I know I reached a point last year uh when all the TikTok stuff was beginning to kick off me and I was going what the hell is this, what's going on and all my students were saying to me no one's ever grown as fast as this before and i go, going really, really <laughs> I d- didn't know why and I began to expect and again I'm terribly I, I loathe arrogance in anybody and I begin to wonder if I was getting a bit too pleased with myself but I hope not because I began to expect everything i touched to work and it sort of did so you do an interview an audition and you kind of expected it to work because everything was working so you shape an expectation by having experienced mini success and the the more success you begin to experience which can come from nowhere can't it you can be be what feels like a a struggling actor or a struggling performer trying to pay your bills especially at the moment um and then something works out and you go oh okay uh, maybe this can work then and then the next thing comes a bit more easily because you're your whole attitude and expectation, I don't think that's magic. You could call it manifestation because if manifestation is giving off a, a different energy and that, if you like, attracts uh, like-minded people who pick up on your positivity and therefore they want to hang around you, well, that's not magic, is it? it, it it's just yeah, the thing. Yeah, there's definitely an element to that.
0: There's something in our brain called the reticular activating system mm-hmm. and the, it's abbreviated to RAS, Reticular Activating System. And the job of that piece in your brain is to filter out stimuli. So they think that there's, I don't know the exact number, but there's lots of stimuli, thousands and thousands and thousands of stimuli occurring Mm. right now. You can't focus on all of them at once. For example, you're not currently focusing on how the chair, or you might be, how the chair is feeling on your back or you're probably most focusing on my voice and what you're hearing, but in the corner of your eye, you've got this light, you've got this thing going on. There's probably a low humming frequency that you, you can hear if you tune into. Mm-hmm. So your reticular activating system is designed to focus on the things that are most acute ab- to survival. So whatever it is in that current situation. And if you subconsciously rehearse things and you try and ingrain things into your subconscious or you learn things to, to a very high skilled level, then your reticular activating system gets very good at fine tuning all of the nonsense and focusing exactly on what's going on. So, essentially, what I'm saying is if you can train your reticular activating system to your goals, then in your day to day, subconsciously, it will filter out all of the background frequency and focus on little things. Something might pop up in the corner of somewhere, and you think, ah, that that's actually in line with my goal whereas you may not have noticed it if yeah. that part of your brain wasn't trained up as much
1: that's so interesting that's like removing peripheral noise isn't yes, it? yes
0: yeah and there are there are literally thousands of stimuli i mean you you're not keeping track of your heartbeat right now because your body does that for you the temperature your body does that for you. there's a lot of things on
1: autopilot that you just don't think which about. your subconscious is which yeah controlling yeah on a similar note i, I read a A fascinating book. It's actually a corporate book called Blink. Okay, yes, I know it. Yeah, yeah, by an author called Malcolm Gladwell, who who wrote Tipping Point and Hmm. and other bestsellers. I'm not sure I even read the whole of Blink, but you know, sometimes you read half these books and you've kind of got it. Mm -hmm. And, And I really got Blink. And Malcolm Gladwell talks about how when you first encompass anybody or anything for the first time. The brain is very, very good at taking an accurate, thin slice Mm. of information. In like three seconds or something. Or less, 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 point something of a second. Yeah. I don't know exactly, but very, very quickly. Um, And then what we tend to do as human beings, which is not helpful, is we think. this wretched thing called thinking, which is so overrated, because that we're doing with a little bit. Roughly 5% of our conscious brain is what does the thinking. The 95% is the unconscious or the subconscious mind. Which is very, very good at taking this information. And a bit like you're saying, if one can remove or, or train your brain to trust mm. that first impression, trust in spontaneity, then you can read people and situations, yeah. or read a room, as people say these days, incredibly reliably and incredibly ridiculously efficiently. When I meet new students on my doorstep, or these days, because of international coaching, a lot of it's on Zoom too. And my brain, I allow my brain to take that thin slice of information. And six months later, it's nearly always spot on. Intuition. I suppose it's Intuition makes it sound like we're kind of clever. Magic, yeah. But, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just got this thing and I really don't mean that. I've just learned to trust that well, it's re- first thing. it's such a good point that you make
0: because it is that part of your brain. But then if you look at someone, that, so taxi drivers in London, for example, they've done studies on taxi drivers that show that the, the part of their brain, which has geographical location and spacing, mm. is larger than the average Londoner. I mean, I go everywhere now with a map on Google Maps, and I have honestly, same, no idea. <laughs> Somebody says, oh, which road did you get to get here? And I'm like, I just followed the I just the followed, the,
1: followed the blue line. That's,
0: that's all I did. I <laughs> yeah, just exactly. followed the sat-nav. and. They, they reckon that there are tribes in the Amazon right now who, because of their situation, they've trained parts of their brain to be able to communicate with birds and and they, they can whistle in a certain way and they can communicate. In, I I may be completely talking out of my ass right here, but I saw, <laughs> saw a video that said that they've got to the point where they can communicate with birds who will show them where honey is, for example. And it sounds outrageous, but we live in a society where certain parts of our brain, such as the geographical spatial awareness, are starting to get smaller and shut down because mm. we're not using them. Whereas monks are using certain parts of their brain for meditation and these sorts of things to the point where they can b- hallucinate on on call, on prayer or whatever it is. And the human brain is just so, so fascinating. Mm. You can do mm. so much with it. And we live in a society where it's quite constrained and limited to, to the beliefs that we kind of have been told and, and these sorts of things so yeah back to the point of the the law of attraction and all these sorts of things the sky is the limit we we don't know what the limit is we're just constrained so by you, our beliefs
1: you you've, you've said my three favorite words we we don't know mm. and, and i think it's much healthier if we're restricted but in life by everything we we know then we're limiting ourselves massively we don't need to know everything and i I I proudly say I I have I've got a clue what is and what isn't. Uh, It's for me. It's about now. It's about being present. When you're having a conversation, you you and I connecting extremely easily um, with someone. How how good does it need to get? I mean, Mm. what are we after? Yeah, I think sometimes the best way to achieve happiness is not to think about happiness, but just to immerse yourself in in things that involve other people usually, and then you will yeah. suddenly really notice, oh, I'm quite happy. There's that element of living in the moment, certainly. Mm. I definitely agree with that.
0: There's also, and something that I try and live by, is sometimes the biggest reward is on the other side of the amount of work you've put into something. Like the longer you've you've spent trying to get something and the, the more effort you've put in, the greater that reward feels mm. When, mm. when you've got it. Um, and sometimes I think there's this weird balance of, um, I'll give an example where, so I, I like to exercise and it's, it's painful, it's not particularly pleasant, but I feel good afterwards yeah. and it's, it's going through that hard thing to, to get the good thing and I like to do that regularly um, because I, I feel that if I don't then at some point I'll have to go through something painful anyway. Um, And I feel like if I can make the choice to make the painful thing happen, uh, then I kind of have some control over it. Yeah. Um, And that's similar for sort of the life ambitions where I know that they're lofty ambitions and I know that it's going to be a hard journey sometimes Mm -hmm. and you're going to come through sort of ups and downs. But the feeling of those successful points are only good feelings because of the, the work you've gone through, if it came so easily, if you had the cheat code for life, like on the old Nintendo, where now you can get this cheat code online and you can, you can go and complete the game in a day, whereas before it would take people three weeks to complete, and that's where the satisfaction came. Yeah, exactly. If you can complete it in a day, then you, you, you generally don't find it satisfying at all. So there has to be a game-like element to, to what we do, and that is this karma-type thing where there's a balance, of of highs and lows, and mm. everybody has them. Even even the people that seem to be top of their field and every aspect of their life ticked, there is the, there is a karmic balance there where they, they've either had to have gone through something. I saw this quote that this guy said: um, uh, "Sometimes you shouldn't want what other people have because you don't know what they've
1: done to oh, get there." Absolutely. It, it it. Or if you if you find yourself envying some friend who's recently become a multimillionaire, and I I. I do have people in mind (laughs) to whom that's happened and i i'm not yet that and um and you think you think for a minute oh oh i could do with nine million oh um then you have to ask yourself yeah but would i want their story yeah and actually i don't i don't don't want to swap lives back to what you were saying so it's fascinating um oh you said something I i wanted to pick up on (laughs) I <laughs> to edit this bit. <laughs> That's right. If, if you remember, I'll say uh, one
0: small thing. Okay. And then if you remember whilst I'm saying that. Yeah, yeah, okay. But um, the other thing is, people that come into large sums of money very quickly often lose it quite quickly as well. The people that have earned it through their own means, for example, setting up a business that has that revenue and that income, they will tend to keep it in the long run because they've figured out the way to set that up. But lottery winners are a really good example. A lot of lottery winners will lose their earnings very quickly. Um, so sometimes the... The big breaks aren't always always the best
1: ones. It's uh, that oh, slow build. It's so, so true. I've just remembered what I wanted to say yes. to you before. good, good. I, I knew that would happen. <laughs> the sub- subconscious mind will release if you, if you don't try too hard. Yeah. Thoughts just come to you. This is a little bit like what you were saying. Sometimes the people who seem on the surface to be the most successful, the most sorted, the most compassionate, the warmest, the loveliest, the funniest human beings... Are the ones who've also suffered the most. Mm-hmm. And there's a lovely quote. I can't remember the whole quote, but the last line is "Beautiful people don't just happen."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is so true. So if if you look back, I'm. Um, I i do not want to. Uh, we haven't talked about your your darkest moments. Uh, and I've I've never had. Uh, I've already talked about you know feeling vulnerable and like the outsider. But I, I've never been suicidal or or you know deeply deeply depressed. But but I've certainly been very uncertain about who I am for large chunks of my life I'm so grateful for that because that's where my understanding of people comes from Mm -hmm. because if you haven't been through that then you've got nothing to empathize with something else I again you touched on earlier was the the, the, being present in the moment and spontaneous which is probably the one thing I try and teach performers over and above anything else is to get out of their heads Mm. it's not to think but just to kind of be which has become almost a kind of cliche now and the bit of our brain that worries that questions ourselves, that does anxiety that over analyzes is loosely speaking the left hand side of our brain again Malcolm Gladwell writes about this and the right hand brain is again loosely speaking where we're at our most spontaneous creative uh, meaningful conversation um and that's the bit we need to be when we're performing we need to in that space not overthinking because if we're overthinking as a performer then we're going to look self-conscious or awkward or feel nervous or be over-analyzing as a singer every note, our pitch, how much vibrato we did on that note all all those kind of things Uh, and yet to get people from the the unhelpful overthinking part of their brain, to that spontaneous one is, is an interesting thing because those two bits of the brain cannot work simultaneously you, you cannot be present and spontaneous and, like, really giving it a bit of that as a performer. At the same time as worrying about whether your pitch is on or not. Mm. It's not possible. So one of my favorite things is to teach people who perhaps are inclined to overthink, over-analyse and be very self-critical is to make them engage in something that's visual. So I, I'm, I might say, and I'm going to break the rules now, and, and i look at the lens. I'm play, playing to the lens at the moment, or playing to a light, or, or playing to the corner of a room... By doing that, I'm thinking in an image, I'm thinking in a, in a visual thing. It's like um, on the left-hand side, Oh, uh, your right-hand side. This is the, the right-hand hand hand side of my brain. brain. It's all probably reversed if people are watching this on camera. <laughs> but whichever you're right, for me, that's my right, and it's probably the left to anybody watching. am not sure how that works. Um, but if you think in, in a visual, so as in over there or down there or getting onto a high note, which I'm sure you know about, really coming mm-hmm. landing on a high note rather than reaching up for it, anything that creates a visual image will engage us in the present Mm. and stop us overthinking it's such a fun thing to teach yeah because you can you you'll see that very quickly won't you
0: in a student you'll say it's it's like visualize this it's a real magic moment yeah, yeah yeah there's some great those are those are great tiktok videos because because they do happen quite fast you can see someone i've seen a couple of examples where the teacher is like, okay, now just relax your jaw and whatever, and all of a sudden the the note comes out brilliantly, and, and you look at that and you think, wow, what was the magic in that? And it's what you've just described there the different sides and it's, hemispheres it's, of the brain, which in getting out the head, yeah, yeah, which I've actually never thought of that properly before. Um, I think
1: because well, I think probably what you do, you do it instinctively. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I suspect you don't overthink as a performer, yeah, because you you look the the bit i've seen of you yeah uh, you look completely comfortable and you're loving it and you're you're really, you're i think that's the one thing with this singing
0: the advantage that i will give myself my brain credit for is it's never really i mean occasionally it does it depends on the situation but it does seem to revert to that in the moment thing when i'm singing i feel so in the moment it's the most in the moment yeah. feeling that i get I, in my I, life i, I can and, relate completely yeah. and sometimes it gets to a point where i think my god this isn't even me there are times where where I've, I've been on stage and I kind of just have like a, a bit of an out of body type experience where I think that I'm not I'm not doing this there's some something else is going on here cuz I don't know what the heck is going <laughs> on <laughs> Um those are great moments That's
1: wonderful Yeah that's no, I I can sort of relate. I can imagine that. So I think some of the stuff we sing is quite similar. So yeah, big yeah. band jazz type. Absolutely. Stuff like that, and 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 something can happen which almost annoys me in performance that you can't quite do in rehearsal, because mm. that thing of adrenaline, of course, kicks that, in.
0: That's a real thing for recording, and also, um, like you said, rehearsal. Um, yeah, Ach- achieving the same spontaneity in a recording studio. Yeah, be. trying to emulate that magic that happens live. Can be can be difficult,
1: um, don't you find it fascinating in a studio situation? You're you're always trying to marry musical perfection, yeah, with spontaneity. Yeah, it's a, and if you all... do too much, you know, dropping in and cutting in and yeah. patchworking different takes together to make the perfect take, you can end up with something that's a bit soulless sometimes. Mm-hmm. Even though you can, it's it's technically perfect yeah. and wonderful, but sometimes imperfection is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I lo- and I that's that. something that's kind of gone away recently because of the technology um, with the auto tune and that kind of thing. But if you listen back to like even the Sinatra stuff, a lot of the imperfections there is what you, you grow to love. That's what you
1: like about yeah, it. Yeah, he goes flat a lot. Yeah,
0: but you love it. You're like, yeah, this is, that's you what do. I hear. Are
1: you a Buble man or a Sinatra man? I,
0: do you know what's funny is I think I was born in a generation where possibly for the first time my generation would have listened to Buble first and not Sinatra which is what happened to me. So I actually came across the jazz standards via Buble, Mm. and I loved them and saw them as the original things because that's what I'd heard first. And then I later got really into Sinatra and loved his stuff, especially the live stuff, especially that, Mm. because Mm. his um, nuances in every performance were so satisfying, and I found it really, really entertaining because I was also singing his songs as well live. I I would just find it so inspiring how he could bring that magic to the audience by these nuances and by being flat and by being and people still absolutely lo- in his later years people absolutely loved that about him yeah
1: I, think, I, th- I mean I, I'm older than you are I won't, don't mind admitting it. I know, I know it's, everyone's shocked to hear that but <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I mean even I even I was young for Frank Sinatra but he definitely came before Buble mm. in, you know in 58 so everything happened back then and um, and I didn't get it initially I, uh, was the same. I, Sorry, I, I, I didn't thought, I'm not, I, thought yeah. I thought this is this isn't as good as everyone says it is, and they like, oh Sinatra, again. yeah, but and then Buble came along, and and Buble was it for me, probably still is, really. I I, I think he's just an annoyingly brilliant. He's really Buble, he, he's yeah. annoying. And he can dance. Yeah, well, that's it. Right. Excuse me. <laughs> Hello. Why is that even allowed? <laughs> but but he's super charismatic. Comes yeah. across super warm and friendly, uh, which one feels is probably genuine. Yeah. Um, sings like an angel. You know, gorgeous bass register, gorgeous high notes. Always looks sickeningly cool. <laughs> it's it's fantastic product. Um, the thing with Buble is his
0: voice is so good. You can listen to that sometimes and think, oh, they would have put a bit of auto-tune on there. And, but they, genuinely, his voice is that good. Have you, you seen him live? I, I, I've, so, I mean, I've watched a lot of his live stuff. Yeah. And also, just by going through the jazz circuit, which is kind of my main thing, is, mm. is doing those jazz shows. Lovely. By going through that circuit, I've realised you, you can't make it to a certain level unless your voice is really good raw because you'll end up in many places where the sound engineer is not good Something's off with the, the mic. Um, it sounds like you're singing out of a bucket and you, to, you have to still make it sound really good. And I know, I've read Buble's biography and, mm-hmm. and these kind of things. I know he would have been in loads of similar situations where your voice has to be good enough to make the performance really good and rely not on auto-tune at all. If you're a pop singer or a singer-songwriter, a lot of your work is is through studio, and I've seen these guys turn up to gigs with a laptop and like plug in through all these inputs. And hmm. I mean, in the jazz world, you turn up and you just hope you've got a good sound engineer that's going to do you a good job. And sometimes you don't. And you've got, still got to have a good, talented voice to actually get it through I and mean, across to the, the audience. So I do believe that Buble has a really good sounding voice anyway, because I don't think he would have got to where he is without it.
1: no. I, th- I think we could all learn from that a lot more I and mean, we shouldn't yeah. be relying on auto-tune. It's less human. Um, yeah. I might I record people in my home studio as, as part of being a-, a voice coach. And I, I don't I don't use auto-tune at all. Mm. I'm a voice coach. It's my job to make sure they sing in tune. So <laughs> I-, I think I think Bublé got that right. Um, gosh, that is interesting. I saw him live once at the what used to be called the NEC in Birmingham. I think it's oh, yeah, something yeah. different now. Uh, and he certainly doesn't disappoint. Yeah. I bet he puts on a show. He's, yeah, he's just very charismatic and very comfortable. I, I hope that's the real man. And you never quite know. Mm. But he certainly comes across as, as the real deal.
0: Yeah. I'd love to go back to something you just said. Yeah. Um About what was the quote you gave about real people? Beautiful people don't just yeah. happen. When you said that, the first thing that came to my mind because I, I have grown up thinking very much that where. You're a byproduct of what you've been through through life. And the reason that you can be empathetic and loving to people is because maybe you, you've known the opposite and you haven't liked that. So if you've been picked on, for example, you don't like that feeling. And one of two things happens. You either become the bully because you're trying to transfer that onto somebody else. Or the or the polar opposite. Or you become the opposite. Yeah. And uh, But when you said that quote, there's genuinely one person that I've met in my life, and it's my girlfriend. And she is... The one person who i really believe that she her parents are really loving and they've brought her up really well and she's had a, a a great upbringing a great life and a lot of people in that situation can become spoiled and a bit rotten and not have much personality mm. it, it's remarkable how well she's come out and and i know her very well because i've <laughs> lived with her for three years um but she is one of the most loving caring people and i've never met anyone like her and i'm sure most people say the same about their other, other half. Yeah, and, mine, mine's sitting outside. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I wonder if that's a love thing where you kind of switch off to things. But but I don't think she was a product. I mean, she. Everyone's been through things, as I said earlier. But but she's more particularly been through a very loving upbringing, and I think that that love has transferred through her life. Um, so it's it's the one person that I can think of that kind of.
1: Um, That's a really good point, actually, because I, I think the beautiful people don't just happen. Quote, it is really talking about how people, those who've suffered an awful lot, mm. have become very compassionate and loving as a result of that. But I think it it's really important to note that if if someone's grown, if someone's a beautiful person anyway. Mm. We can't take that away from. But that them. you know uh, that, and, that, and I think if you grow up with. And we've brought my children are twenty six and twenty four. Yeah. Um, and biased though I am, they're, they're both gorgeous, beautiful, loving, caring, generous, big hearted, fun, bright people. Um, well, they haven't been to hell and back either, but we have given them lots of love and yeah. nurtured them. And as a parent, maybe that's the most important thing you can do is make your children feel loved and that they somehow matter.
0: It, it, that makes me wonder if that's how we're kind of meant to be ultimately, you know, if, if there wasn't an Adam and Eve situation, garden of, garden of Eden, mm. uh, Eden, and it was brought up these two kids that were brought up just pure lovingly. Mm. And that was just passed on. And there's part of me when I look at my girlfriend, and I think maybe that's just how we as humans are meant to be. And we're not meant to be blowing each other up and, and doing all these other things that are, are annoying to each other. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real fascinating one. Um, no, she sounds, she sounds brilliant. She's great. Yeah, she's really she's really good. Yeah. Performer? She's not, no. No, she's not That's a performer. Probably probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good mix. She can sing. We did a little duet um, for a Christmas song and recorded that a while oh, back. Oh, wow. Um, so she can sing. She she was part of the plays and that sort of thing growing up, but just doesn't do it
1: professionally. Yeah. She sounds great. Yeah, she's wonderful. But you're, you're saying just now that, you know, it's better than blowing people up. We live in a world that we could argue is full of a lot of bad stuff. There's a, a lot of... Rubbish going on, and nothing's great, the planet's not great, and there's war in ukraine and there's just so many bad things going on in life and sometimes you can sort of almost feel guilty that you're not making it your personal mission to to i don't know change everything in some way and i occasionally I think gosh what what you do as a singer or as a as a coach can feel quite superficial in a way and a bit is this a bit shallow? Is this a little bit meaningless? And then, and then as, as for TikTok, you think, oh, well, here I go again, you know, dopamine rush, getting all these likes, and all these followers, and yeah, isn't it exciting? And then you have to ask yourself back to what I said earlier about being yourself for a living and w- what's your thing that you can give? Yeah, you know, I'd be rubbish at politics. I, I don't know how to manage the economy. Uh, I, I wouldn't be very good at, in warfare. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure I want to be good at that. Um, but my my thing is, and I think you're the same to a huge extent it, it It's about people mm. um and trying to s- sounds really cheesy, but spread spread some positive in a a world that we could yeah. frame as a very difficult and imperfect place,
0: yeah, that is a conversation that I've had with myself a fair bit because there is sometimes that a bit of guilt, yeah well, especially if you haven't had a gig in five days and you're sitting there and you're thinking what's my, am I adding to humanity by not having I, I understand when I'm in the moment and I've just done a show mm-hmm. people, I, I can see on the faces, I can feel the audience and I I just know that, I, that that evening has become better and that has really added to humanity in a positive way in a really positive way. People go home feeling great, they'll enjoy their evening that kind of thing. Um, but yeah there are definitely times when I, I'm. I do wonder. I'm thinking, what else could I be doing to add to?
1: You're cl- you're bringing joy. So that's that's yeah. Some yeah. yeah. of us need to, and that's part of the conclusion. Uh, that, is uh, no, definitely, and I, I think we can almost feel guilty about it sometimes. And there are uh, luckily other people who are brilliant at the things that I'm rubbish at. But my my area is yeah is my area. And had a very sweet thing happen last night. Um, I, I, a lot of people do up with me on TikTok, mm-hmm. but that that's where my TikToks gone mental frankly is i put piano accompaniments up and people thousands and thousands of people duet with them and then repost them the vast majority don't but that still leaves thousands that do that's actually where i discovered you um is it yes yeah And and i did a thing the other day i said right just improvise with me and make something up and i played a kind of classic swing g e minor a minor d7 chord progression in a kind of vampy kind of broad way and just said guys a day to improvise because that's again right hand brain it's the most spontaneous thing you can do is scat <laughs> 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 but you know it's the most because you cannot overthink it you can't do yeah, it you've got to let random, go and you've got to yeah. trust it and then you can even make up words without thinking about them first if you trust the brain just to let go and mm-hmm. and they fall out of you and you go did I do that? Was it, this your your out of body experience thing so I thought let, let's test this on the, on the tick tocking world and um and i watched some of them back and some of them were amazing and some of them were pretty good and some of them <laughs> talk about they were they were all lovely and it's so full of heart and it's such a fabulous community thing i thought this is great and one person who's obviously decided i'm some kind of celebrity and put me on a pedestal was so blown away by the fact i'd commented on her improv with me that she did one of those reply tiktok videos where you reply on video but mm-hmm. you can see your comment in the corner, in, yep. in text, so in tears. Oh, I just can't believe you can't believe you do it with me. I can't. It's just, it's just made my day, and I'm so touched, and so moved. She'll probably hear this at some point. Um, and she was so touched, but she wasn't as touched as I was at the I bet. the fact she'd yeah. done that. So I, so I then reposted her, yeah, her video and did some subtitles saying, "I'm you've actually moved me to tears with your response." Um. And then, then I got another video, and, and, and on it goes, and and you, it gives me pure joy. That you think this little superficial thing that I sometimes feel it is, they're you know, putting pretty videos on TikTok and making people sing, yay, isn't this fun? It is touching people's lives, which is extraordinary. And she said, you provide a safe space for us TikTokers because I talk about mental health and mm. confidence as much as I do. Compliments, the compliments, the piano duets, the bits which have mostly gone viral. So that, that's where the attention's come from. But it has also given me a platform, therefore, to talk about the voice and head, confidence, feelings of insecurity, vulnerability, being spontaneous, tapping into the best part of the brain, all the stuff we've just been talking about. Um, and it's just so, so, it means the world to me. Can we
0: touch on and how it got to that point, um, specifically with your? bbc and, and Billie eilish duet because i know i know you've m- said the story on on uh, different platforms before mm. but if you wouldn't mind sort of just saying what happened with the the Billie eilish duet and yeah and how it helps with your tiktok as well
1: yeah this so this is the most extraordinary thing um so just to backtrack it's less than a year since i launched my tiktok 5th of may wow 5th of may 2022 wow i didn't know uh, was that I, early I, yeah. I, I know i launched a tiktok I did a little mental health one on do you have an inferiority complex, which is talking about the kind of thing we've just been talking about. Mm. Uh, and the reason I did this is a 13-year-old student said to me, I think you should you should get a TikTok and you'd be brilliant on that. And I went, you've got to be kidding. It's full of glamorous, pretty young things strutting their stuff. Wh- wh- where would this... Uh, oh, I'm going to go off on another ta- tangent. So I, I was just thinking, you know, uh, I, I'm white, male, middle class, have all my limbs and speak posh. <laughs> how? How? How... Unfa- and I'm not non-binary. How how unfashionable am I? You know, and I, d- I don't mean to sound cynical, but I just became aware of how uncool it was to be all those things. <laughs> At the same point that she said launch this TikTok, and I thought, yeah, oh, right. So I tried it, um and actually it was the first duet I did. I think it was an improv one, so a bit like the one I've just talked mm-hmm. about. And within six weeks, I had sixty thousand followers. Wow. Which, which no, well. I didn't know it was wow. I just thought this is what happened on TikTok. Mm. And and then some of the people I taught said, have you any idea how fast that growth is? I said, "Was oh, that good then? I had nothing to compare it to. They went, yeah. I said, well, how good? They said, I don't think I've ever seen anyone grow that fast before. And I said, literally no one. They said, I don't think so. So it grew and grew. And at 60,000 followers, at that point I was uploading mostly pop and some musical theater songs piano parts where I sometimes would harmonize into the mic so they could harmonize with me or sometimes just play the piano and I was teaching a lot of people Billy Eilish songs at the time and one that I'd taken to was the song listen before I go which is a suicide note <laughs> basically not not a happy tune so I I, I loved playing that and there's a, a a low bit where it goes really low. Sorry, can't save me now. And she goes down there, which I always found slightly um annoying. Sorry, Billy, and I and I wished it was up the octave. Sorry, can't save me. So I made a TikTok suggesting to whoever might sing it with me that Billy does this. Some might find it a bit low and grungy. You've probably seen this video, and um, so may, maybe try taking it up the octave. And you know, within a couple of days, I've lost count, but you know, lots of people had done duets for me. I'd just finished work on a Saturday in my studio and was sitting in the garden. It was mid-May. No, it wasn't. It was early July by now. So, mm-hmm. so we're on 60,000 followers. So only two months in at this point and that's... Yeah, two months in on 60,000 followers. So a lot of people were being exposed to my mm-hmm. songs by then. Scrolling through and up came various duets, people singing, listen before I go with me. And then there was one with lots of comments beneath it. And the comments started off by saying, gosh, you sound just like Billy." I thought, yeah, she does quite. So I scrolled on down. and Then it's a Hang on a minute, I think this is Billy. I mean, this is this is Billy Eilish. She's Sheridan, Sheridan. Loads of tags. So I looked up and it did look like her official page, but I didn't trust it. I thought it might just be a fan account or something. So I, I came off TikTok, went onto Google, googled Billy Eilish official TikTok, hit send, and the first thing that happened was if you want to sing a Billy Eilish duet, and there, there was my incredibly posh English accent, and I thought, what the hell? So. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. on the BBC, yeah. they were, they yeah, were. You're more me. than welcome to. Yeah. So, so I went upstairs. My my daughter, who's, uh, twenty four now, was packing to go to Ibiza the next day, and she was staying with us for the weekend. And I said, Bella, Bella, and she said, What, what? I said, You know that Billie Eilish duet I put up a couple of days ago. She went, Yes. I said, Guess who's duetted? I don't know, Dad. Who? And I said, "Billie Eilish," and she went, "Fuck off!" <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure is um, uh, a lot of people's um, reaction to. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, that it's, is it's the first time I've said that on air anywhere. But yeah. but because I have to kind of tone it down for the beeb, you know. Um, so that was that. Really, so I, I was, as I said at the time, gobsmacked. Um, and just it, it takes a while to sink in. The following day, I felt quite emotional about the whole thing. Um and some people think that's weird because I'm you know, a 58 year old guy being emotional about the fact that 20 year olds do with me on TikTok you know, what what's the big deal about it but it it just did touch me mm. and i think you understand that i mean if you've been in the industry your whole life and then something like that happens it's yeah it's huge yeah, yeah. and i've been in this industry since since 1985 yeah. so it's, it's been a while uh, and i've had moments of success i won a competition on BBC in 2004 called Can't Sing Singers and Lorraine, uh, Kelly, Lorraine Kelly that 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 thing um and that was a lot of fun my team of people who couldn't sing and and I had to teach them to sing won so if you like I won that show or well, they, they and I together won that show it's not so much the case anymore but
0: TV back then even like the early noughties it was a huge thing. Like Everybody's watching the Saturday night thing. That, that That's how it was exposed. But, yeah, yeah. Whereas now you've got all so many options. Amazon Prime, Netflix, Netflix uh, TikTok. Uh, people's attention is... i begin
1: to think that... T- I, I've got some lovely TV exposure coming up, which I'm not actually allowed to talk about, but I, that's coming up and it's going to be great. But can it be greater than... The I
0: don't t- know. You, I think you've you've got that got things have changed in the last five years. I think they really have. And even things like love island where the original cast season people would go on there and get like a million followers mm. now the people going on there are barely scratching tens of thousands, out, like not really scratching the surface on in terms of what it used to be and i think part of that is because yes it's it's been repeated many times there's only so many seasons you can have before people start to say i can only follow a certain number of but also there is definitely more attention going towards TikTok and Netflix and these subscription services mm. um it's hard to fight for people's attention these days um but still if you're on national tv then i mean that's always going to be great experience why well, you hope
1: yeah. so but but th- that that was good at the time it secured my coaching business but and mm-hmm. uh, as all my friends call me the you know the nearly famous this is in 2004 <laughs> yeah. then it went annoyingly quiet because w- w- when i was winning it live on tv you know bbc primetime saturday night yeah. Sheridan is the winner i thought oh thank god i'll never have to teach ever again uh and then 19 years later you- you're still coaching you're going oh okay yeah. so it's been sec- i've had a good time i've never had to fight for work so that mm. that, that, that was secure but this billy eilish slash TikTok moment thing which is still happening now it knocks that into a mm. cocked hat it, it, it's it's just been crazy there was a day about two the two weeks after the billy billy thing happened bbc south got in touch with me uh, and they said we gather there's a really cool Billie Eilish story. Can you tell me? And I said I, said, I just told what I've just told you. She said, "Can we come and film you at the studio?" So they did an article on BBC South, which is I think, still on the BBC News app to this minute. It's there hmm. right now. You search Billie Eilish about three stories down is this story, <laughs> um, which gives me a bit of a warm fuzzy feeling. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so they came and filmed it just for BBC South, which is everything from kind of what you can into Milton Keynes, Oxford, Buckingham down to the south coast and then it went on the news the local news not that local but not national news the next day and I think what the BBC national news do is they scan the local news mm. and from that they pick the big ones big ones yeah and suddenly it appeared on the BBC New- news app which my I found innocently the following morning or something and I thought oh my god is Debs? <laughs> Debs is my lovely wife I, mean, I went look uh, and there it was it, as I say it's still there with my photograph and everything and I'm thinking good god and at that point, the Billie Eilish story went worldwide because, she's American. She she just played Glastonbury a week, headlined Glastonbury the week before, mm-hmm. she duetted with me. So maybe she was in a hotel in London, and I I, I don't know. But anyway, because she's American, it's gone big in America. And if you, I, I'm I'm eagerly googling Billie Eilish, Sheridan, Coldstream. There are literally I don't know how many thirty fifty articles, all saying much the same thing about, you know, gobsmacked English vocal coach Sheridan Cos. It was suddenly everywhere after it had been on BBC And the video album. itself has m- like 35 plus million views, right? I think it's... F- I actually looked last night because I knew you might ask <laughs> I think it's 49.5 wow. million views. So you're talking 50 million that We're talking 50 million incredible. views, yeah. That's incredible. 50 million views. You can't even fathom that number of people. No, no, it's crazy. Yeah. No, I, I have great fun working at how, how many O2 arenas my followers will fill. <laughs> I, I, I worked out, which I don't really get this, but my following as it stands would fill the O2 arena in London, the big one, mm-hmm. 30 times. Wow. And I'm going, well, oh, I don't feel that what? famous. Yeah. <laughs> Where are they all? Put, up, put on a show, uh, get everyone I down. Know. And, uh, it's... and it, it's sort of real and it's sort of not real yeah. because some people follow you just on a kind of whim. It doesn't mean they're a massive fan. And then you've got, you do have your super fans who... Mm-hmm. Contact you and sort of, sort of fall in love with you, but it's not really. It's a kind of idolization hmm. thing. It's all very odd. Yeah, yeah,
0: I can, I can appreciate that. I, I it's had... really
1: fun. You have to stay grounded. Because yeah, there is this thing we all know about the dopamine rush. Mm-hmm. You know, getting hooked it, onto that. It's and, a drug. And, yeah, the dopamine, the feel good you get from getting yeah. a million likes or you know, half a million plays on something you posted five days ago it, it, it is insane and the comments that i get are so sweet so gorgeous so touching and very very there's no hate mail at all yet that hasn't kicked in your page is particularly uh,
0: particularly more positive than almost any other pages i've seen a lot of people that that get to that level i did a video a while back about how if your video goes above a hundred thousand views regardless of what the topic is, regardless of what you're saying, you'll get hate stuff on there. But your, your page actually seems to be really good for just finding the positive people. That community of people you have
1: is, is a real positive community. I know what I was going to say, which is about our industry mm. and about the recording arts, arts industry and indeed TikTok, is that constant battle between commercialism and integrity. Mm-hmm. And I think most musicians, when you talk to them, would rather feel that music was about music and the love of music. And if you're a songwriter, it's writing songs that mean something to you. Uh, and it can't be about making a load of money because as soon as you do that, you're making commercialism more important than, mm. than integrity. And surely we'd all want to feel we were being real and genuine with our music and that kind of balance thing. I don't know what do you do. You have a view on that? Yeah, I th- so I think actually one of the reasons why I started the podcast is because I
0: I believe that a podcast is a really good way to get authenticity across and to get your personality across without having any. I mean, right now we're not putting on a show. We're not perf- we're not performing. We're we're being ourselves. We're having a chat. Yeah, and I think it's really important for people to see that side of things because when you do put on a show, they know more that you are putting on a show and. If you want to make it more commercialized, then at least there are things out there that show your your true self, um, because as a singer, you're also an actor. As a musical theatre singer, you're also an actor, and anyone in the arts at some point has to has to be an actor of sorts. Mm. And it can be really hard when TikTok is only a twenty second video, a minute video, to get across your authenticity and. It, especially if you're trying to pull in views and I've been so guilty of it by trying to kind of like jump to the point straight away and get something that I'm hoping people will just latch onto and watch. Mm. Um, So yeah, there is that balance and sometimes I do feel guilty for being not, I, I try really hard to be authentic and it sometimes just doesn't come across. I watch things back and I just think that comes across really commercialized.
1: But you also um, judge yourself in a way that nobody else would. I, I cringe at my own stuff. Everybody, <laughs> yeah. everybody else says I'm real. <laughs> if that's how I come across in real life, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think, you know, the, the irony is that it's only by making the algorithm work is, is that you can get your message out there. Yeah, so yeah. If you don't play the game a bit, then no one's going to hear your stuff. So it serves no purpose. So yeah. Uh, th- we all know that guy that puts out the
0: really authentic stuff that has no streams and he doesn't have a voice in the industry and isn't being booked for things and and it's kind of like okay well you might be giving it your truest self but no, that's not no, connecting n- with anyone no no one's hearing you yeah you're really good at that by the way because am I on tiktok it's hard because they are short segments it's hard to get across your personality sometimes and i think because you don't do it with the intention of the commercialised thing. It comes across really well. It comes across really authentic. You're also they
1: haven't got any choice. <laughs> if they want to sing that song, they've got to put up with yeah, the talking
0: yeah. first. But that, that also uh, that talking part gives you that personality and gives you that connection with people. If you just went straight into the singing, they wouldn't know what you were like as a as a speaker, as as someone to chat to. So it can uh it can work. The opposite of that is and I get this a lot at um at gigs where it's more backgroundy, hmm. um, where it's not really appropriate to sort of say, oh, and the next song is about this, or put a cheesy line in there, so I'll generally just go say thank you and on to the next song, I find that there's an element of, there's an air of mystery, and people really, by the end of the set, are, are, are kind of like, what is he, you know, is he American? Is he, let's go have a chat with him. There's, that builds up this air of, of mystery, not intentionally because I just don't think it would be appropriate to Mm. chat to people. Cheese, cheese and wine gigs. Yeah. 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 Those, those that, you know exactly what I'm on about, those (laughs) backgroundy gigs. Um, and, There are some people that do that online and that's their thing where it's all mysterious. But there's a lot more people now that are doing the authentic thing and are building that personal connection with their audience. And and you do that really nicely, really well. Very kind of you to say so. Well, when you said at the beginning of this podcast that you get to be you for a living, that's what it's all about is building a personal brand. And when you have that brand, you can take that different places, franchises, and, and people come to your singing lessons also because of your personal brand and, and who you are and, and because they've seen your videos and this sort of thing. Um, it's so powerful. It's a really it's powerful tool very, to have. It's very,
1: very, I mean, it's, it's lovely that and it's odd. Um, As an actor, when you've spent years trying to find auditions, ch- check they're right for you, apply for them, pray you get offered an audition, turn up and there's a room full of people who look just like you also auditioning. And then you probably don't get them, and once in a blue moon you do. That that that's kind of my sum up summing up of an acting career. <laughs> uh, to what's happening at the moment, which is uh, car brands email you because they want to do a camp. This is the thing I'm still waiting to hear. if It's definitely happening, but I think it is little car brand called Fiat. I think I'm allowed to say that. Got in touch, um, and they don't just want a vocal coach to come and teach the winners of their competition in a Fiat and be filmed and a radio interview and all over loads of stuff and quite a lot of money as well they don't just want they want specifically you or in this instance me and you really are you're looking over your shoulder to see who they're talking about you what who was who, who this sheridan guy <laughs> um and i i put that straight onto my influencer agent who's called lj and she's brilliant and she said no they, they want you That, that kind of uh, it sums it up isn't it yeah uh, and having spent you know 30 years trying to be the person that might get the job over someone else mm-hmm. to having someone say no we want Sheridan Coldstream to come and sit in this car and teach our winners it's a very exciting time yeah <laughs> it's really nice to actually seeing it happen to somebody
0: and I'm really pleased for you and I just hope that it continues and the success goes up and up from here well
1: thank you so yeah. so much
0: thank and you. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, on the podcast as well. It's been lovely getting to... I know we had a chat over the phone, but it's been even better to sort of get, get deep into it as it's well. It's
1: great, isn't it? just talking about everything Anything. really. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think the, the, perhaps the important note to end on is that people don't always believe it can happen for them. Mm. Well, I suspect you've been that person. I, I, I've been that person. But we're just normal people. And as I said earlier, the industry is just hard enough to separate those who really want it from people who just think they do. Yeah, And you just keep at it. You know, I'm not 25 anymore. I've just gone on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Um, And at the moment, it seems to be coming back to me, which I feel truly blessed. So you know, thank you. Congratulations. No, I'm
0: really, me, really, you. really pleased to hear more of your story. Just lastly, yeah. before you go, I'm sure everyone already knows, but
1: where, where can we find you? Well, th- there will be some stuff which I alluded to earlier coming out, I think, in the autumn on, on TV. But I'm I'm sworn to secrecy and signed all sorts of signed various disclaimers, so I can't talk about that yet. So you probably will see me with, whether you want to or not. So there we are. There's that. Um, my TikTok handle is Sheridan underscore Coldstream, or just Sheridan. Um, I do have a YouTube channel too, but uh, that hasn't gained the same traction. Um, watch this space.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you very all right, much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.